Stranger Rangers. This is Bree. This is Tina. And you're listening to Stranger Danger, a true crime podcast. Welcome back. All right, we are um, we're back. Sorry, we're back. I missed you guys last Monday. Um, that was a little bit of my bad. We uh, traveled down south to Eugene for a concert, which was super fun, but it left me a little bit behind on a case. Um, But yeah, it was so much fun. Yeah, good. We all need those trips to get away, like weekend trips and whatnot. So hope everyone, I think this is going to come out Labor Day Monday. So hopefully you're hearing us on the way back from camping or something or... Um, after hanging out with family and barbecuing something. So hope you totally. have a good Labor Day here in the U.S. I don't know that, uh, I well, other countries wouldn't have had a Labor Day. What is Labor Day? <laughs> I don't know. I think I it's no just idea. a day that you're <clears throat> supposed to celebrate the hard labor workers, but I've never received a Labor Day off. I think it's more of a federally oh, no. recognized sort of thing. However, um I believe we get paid more on Labor Day because it is a federal holiday. So I'm excited about that. I have a full eight hour shift, so I will be soaking up all that time and a half. Yes, please. Um, Because even though we're in, well, this will be coming out in September. Christmas is like literally right around the corner. Seriously. And I don't want to think about that yet until I think about Halloween and I'm wearing my little skeleton nice. t-shirt to celebrate um, because it's raining in Portland right now. Mm-hmm. And it is like, I'm so sweater, weather, sweater, weather. Oh. I am so ready for fall. I, I'm like never anxious for the sun of summer to be gone, but I am not a hot weather person at all. No. I like my transition from summer to fall hoodies and sunglasses mm-hmm. and the rain mm-hmm. is just mm-hmm. like everything, yeah. everything. I peeped out the window this morning when the boy got up and it was raining and I was like, hell yes, we're getting pho for dinner. It's going to be oh, delicious. Yeah. I'm ready. Yeah. So, <laughs> and it tends to like calm people down. I think a lot, it doesn't deter all crime in the city, but people aren't out and about, you know, with, uh, uh you know, like when the sun is out. So it's a yeah. good, nice time for Portland when it starts heat, to rain. The heat makes people, um, angsty. Yeah. I think once we've had too much of it, especially the past few summers with multiple hot back to back nine high 90 hundred degree days. Yeah. We're over it. For so, sure. um, yeah, well let's go ahead and dive into my case for Perfect. today. This, this is going to be a two parter guys. So I'm going to try to get through, um, Hopefully we'll, we'll land a double recording session, but the baby took an early late nap today. So we are on okay. his schedule to see how yep. far we get through schedule. <laughs> but we will for sure get through part one. So oh. this is going to be the murder of Ryan Sullivan. Okay. And this, uh, this case takes place down in Texas in the town of Colleen, which if you are, um, familiar with any military have family in the military if you serve there's a really big military base down in colleen texas called fort hood and we 
this is going to be a military-based case. Oh, okay. No, pu- no pun intended on okay. the base. <laughs> So to uh, first and foremost, talk a little bit about Ryan Sullivan. He was born in 1984 in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and he came from a really large and loving family. They have described him as having a big heart. He liked to take care of people. And he was one of those people that just constantly put others before himself. He did not think about himself first in any way, shape or form. And that really benefited him because um, he followed in his father and his grandfather's footsteps. Both of them served in the military. And so Ryan knew from a really early age that he wanted to do the same. Yeah. That happens so, a lot with, you know, military families for sure. Oh, totally. I think more than anything, you know, even more than just like staying in the family business, if you've got military blood running through your family, yeah. you see a lot of generations. Yeah follow up with that for sure. So, um, yeah, Ryan kind of did, you know, the typical thing after high school, he enlisted in the army as an infantryman with the first infantry division and the first infantry division, sorry, that's a mouthful (laughs) is one of the oldest continuously serving divisions in the regular army. So it's been, it's been one of those, you know, probably since the very, very beginning. Sure. And Ryan excelled in his position. He very quickly became the top hand-to-hand combat fighter in his unit, which is pretty badass and impressive. Yeah, it is. And in 2002, he was deployed on his first tour Uh, his first tour to Iraq, where he served on the front lines there. And at this point, he was already a really highly admired squad leader and was quickly promoted to sergeant, you know, so he's like right out of high school. I don't have an exact age around this point, but you know, what year was that? Um, This was in 2002. So this is like right after 9-11. Yeah. So he would have been like, maybe just 18. Probably. Yeah. Yeah, really, really early in his career. So um, in Ryan's time with the Army, he received a number of achievements and awards. Um, He was given the Combat Infantry Badge. He also received a Bronze Star Medal, which is given to somebody for like a really heroic achievement um, or their service in a combat zone. He also was given... Oh, Moose, get out of here. Sorry, guys. There's a squirrel or a mailman or something happening. Someone's Um, threatening his house. I know. Yeah. (laughs) He's very, he's a little territorial. Um, And then he also received the Iraqi campaign medal and the global war and terrorism medal during his operation, Iraqi freedom tour. So he achieved quite a bit in a very, very short amount of time. And so, you know, at this point we're in 2002 and you're over in another country, not a whole lot of communication when you're, you know, out on these bases and on the, you know, in the combat zones and whatnot. And so for a lot of soldiers, their way of like probably kind of keeping a little bit of their sanity and communicating with people back home is meeting people online. This was very much the era you know, of 2002 chat rooms, um, for sure sure. chat rooms. Cause I'm trying to think back, you know, how advanced was internet and all that at that point. And that's for sure chat room era. Yeah. 
maybe my space was starting. Maybe. maybe. Yeah. yeah. Um, so he was really into being online and like meeting people and all of that. And, you know, like I said, that really just helped soldiers at that time feel connected, feel compassion. They would get encouragement from people that they met online and kind of just gave them something to look forward to when they got home. If they right. were somebody that was over there that didn't have a lot of friends, family or whatever to communicate with that kind of became that. Yeah, for them. it was their lifeline. Like you said, a little little taste of home while they were, I mean, 2002, and not that it's any better now, but I can only imagine that if he was in the combat zone, if he was on the front lines, that there was a lot of chaos and a lot of uh, bad stuff and totally constantly happening around right. him. Yeah. Probably gave them a really great, a great way to like disconnect and forget yes. where they were for a right. while. So um, Ryan met a woman from Ohio in one of these. Um, well, I don't know if it was a chat room, but online. And she said that her name was Melissa and that she was a model. <laughs> I just feel like a lot of people got away with saying that kind of stuff on MySpace and early mm-hmm. internet era for sure. Yeah. Mm hmm. I'm not trying to uh, spoiler alert, but I think we can uh, safely assume that there, like you said, there were a lot of people not um, a model <laughs> claiming that profession. Yeah. Um, she sent Ryan pictures from recent photo shoots. She is very flirtatious and very, very soon a relationship developed between Ryan oh, okay. and Melissa. And most of the relationship was through emails and phone calls. And after more than a year of dating online, Ryan finally comes back to the U.S. And he is beyond anxious to meet up with this girl that he's fallen in love with, you know. So he showed up at her home in Cincinnati. And wouldn't you know it that the woman that answered the door looked nothing like the photos that Ryan had received. She was not five, seven. She was not, did not have the slim model figure. She was more like five, three and heavier set. And Melissa's story, she assured him that the photos were her, but that she had complications um, that explained her current appearance. She said that she had broken her back. So that's why she shrank four inches and gained 50 pounds. Left her. Yep. Left her shrunken and put on a little bit of weight. And she said that that accident just completely ruined her modeling career and that she was, you know, afraid that he wouldn't accept her for the way that she looked. And so she presented him with these older photos of herself, yada, yada, yada. Gotcha. Ryan is an outstanding person because I think that 99% of people would walk away from a situation like this once they, you know, he didn't. He did not. He accepted Melissa for the way that she was. He was like, I fell in love with you through the communication that we had and the support that you gave me. And he was all in. He was like, Hey, I've, I've invested myself. You're inside still the same person that, you know, sure. Despite what you look like on the outside. And he wanted to pursue a relationship with her. Good Good for both of them. So good for both of them. 
But Melissa has one more thing that she wants to reveal to to Ryan. Um, Her name is not Melissa. Her name is actually Catherine. She goes by Katie Briggs. And that Melissa was her professional modeling name, not her real name. Okay. So just a little extra layer to that whole situation. Not only did she lie about what she looked like, but she also lied about her name. And Ryan is just kind of like, okay, I, I let's, mean, let's just get all that he's out rolling there. with it. And he's totally like, I'm ready for love. It, and basically, I don't care what your name is. I love that he loved that he fell in love with like her character. I do love Absolutely. that. Um, I mean, because we've all seen the show Catfish, you oh, know, yeah. and how many of those episodes is the person that's being Catfish just like, you know, whatever, like, yeah. let's just, let's go, you know, not, not very that many, many times. Yeah. No, not that many times. And then sometimes I'm like, oh, come on, give them a chance. Like mm-hmm. you, you had great conversations with them well into the night and you would fall asleep with them in your ear. Like, you know, you love this person, like. Don't be so, you know, superficial. So I do love that he's giving her a chance. But Absolutely. also, I don't know that Melissa, not to rag on Melissa's, but I don't know that Melissa would be my preferred, like, stage name. Yeah. But I don't, <laughs> not me. I'd go with, like, Delilah or something. I don't sure. know. Sure. So, I don't know. Not Melissa. Yeah. Know. It's a little bland. Yeah. For, okay. for a made-up name. For right, a made up right. For a stage name, like you know, there's your shares, and then there's Melissa. Like, yeah, you know? <laughs> Melissa Etheridge. There you go. <laughs> Maybe that's where she got it. <laughs> Inspired. Um, exactly. So Ryan starts to get to know a little bit more about Katie. Um, Katie is an Ohio native. After she lost her modeling career, she began working for the IRS as a data transcriber. Um, So basically she would put tax forms into the system and not my dream job, but she was obviously, she was very, very good at her job from what people said. Um, Katie was also a social butterfly. She was really super social. You know, she loved to laugh, interact with people. And in 2006, just as they were getting settled in their relationship, Ryan finds out that he's going to be deployed again back to Iraq. And this Mm. tour is going to take him over there for 15 months. Oh, that's long such a blow that you had this long distance online relationship for a year. You come back, you are still in love, ready to move forward with this person. And you find out you're going to get deployed again. And yes, 15 months is such a long time and he's devastated, you know, obviously, but he's still very serious about the relationship and he invites Katie to move with him to Texas. So she's like, absolutely. I want to do this. She agrees. And she landed a job right away in Austin, Texas, which is about an hour outside of Colleen. So not, not too far. Um, and they got an apartment together in Colleen and Katie also had, um, an apartment in Austin as well so that she would just be closer to her job. So I'm sure he was probably paying for, you know, the apartment in Colleen, she has her Austin one, what sure. have you. So Ryan is deployed 
in 2006. And in January of 2008, he returns. They're still together and he's super ready to move forward with their relationship. And they couldn't be happier and more ready to do this. So about 10 months later on October 14th, 2008, this is just, you know, 10 months after his return, police receive a call at 1130 AM from a U.S. army official at Fort hood. They're concerned about Ryan when he didn't show up for formation in the morning, which is very unusual behavior for him. He's really high up in the ranks. He's very punctual, takes his job very seriously. So for him not to show up is a huge red flag. The, uh, the police meet Ryan's supervisor at his off base apartment. They knock on the door, but don't get a response. And the door is locked. The property manager, they get a hold of him and he comes and let, lets them in right away. And as soon as they open the door, they smell a decomposing body. Whoa. One of those smells. I haven't smelt it, but from what I hear, when you know, you know, right. And they see blood on the wall by the couch in the living room. And then they look down and they notice a pair of feet on the ground. And it is 24-year-old Ryan Sullivan. He had been stabbed roughly 34 times. Whoa. 34 times. And he was wrapped up in like like a comforter, like he had been sleeping on the couch that night. And investigators are just like completely stunned because yeah. remember Ryan is like a top hand to hand combat. Oh, soldier. that's right. I'm glad you, you know? reminded me of that. Cause I'm- yeah. And so they're like, how could he end up like this? Like, how does this, you know, top tier hand to hand combat soldier get stabbed to death 34 times, 34 times. So many. And so, you know, they take his body. The coroner estimated that he had been dead there for about 24 to 36 hours. And so who could have done this? You know, who would have had the manpower, the ability, the savvy to catch him so off guard that he would have met his fate like this? Uh Uh-huh. And stabbing is always so personal, too. You know, it's not one gunshot wound it's not you know i don't know it's just one of those personal things that you have to be so physically close to someone that that just blows my mind 34 times totally and there didn't seem to be like this like a whole lot of evidence of like this major struggle in the living room as well it was just like they could tell that obviously he had been caught in so off guard yeah you know so First and foremost, they make contact with Katie and they bring her in, but they don't tell her at first why they need to speak with her. They're just like, hey, he's he's clean. We need you to come down and talk to us. So she she makes the 60 mile drive from Austin to clean. She's in she's in Austin at the time when they get a hold of her. Okay. And so in the meantime, while Katie is making this drive, um, they are canvassing the area. They're talking to neighbors, looking at the crime scene, what have you. And a neighbor does mention seeing a black motorcycle outside the apartment a few days before. They said they saw it a few times, but had no idea who it belonged to. Just that it was a vehicle that they hadn't really noticed being in the neighborhood very often. 
So Katie comes in for her interview. She was very quiet. She said she had no idea why she was there. And they questioned her about the apartment in Colleen. Does she live there? Who all lives there? When was the last time she was there, et cetera. And Katie says that she hasn't been there for about three days that she had been at her other apartment that she leases in Austin and police do confirm this alibi that she had been in Austin for those three days prior to Ryan's murder. Okay. And when they ask why she hasn't been at the apartment, she said that her and Ryan had recently been having problems and that the last four to five months had been the worst. So it was make or break time after four years together, she says, and that he requested some space to think before he deployed again. And she said that their separation also had to do with changes in Ryan's behavior, that he was kind of troubled and dark since his last two were coming back. She felt like she was walking on eggshells around him all the time, probably sensing maybe a little bit of, you know, like PTSD and, you know, all of those things that can happen when our veterans come home. Yeah. Even if they're not like diagnosed with PTSD, the amount of stuff that I'm sure they have to process it has to change a person, even if it's not a diagnosable amount of trauma that gives them, you know, a post-traumatic stress disorder. Oh, it's absolutely. It's got to change someone. For sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I cannot imagine what our men and women have seen in battle. And, you know, especially with, with the Iraqi war at that time. And when you're on the front lines and I don't, I don't see how a lot more don't come back with some PTSD to be perfectly honest with you, even just for how grueling it is to get prepared to deploy, even just through boot camp and all of that kind of stuff, you know? So it's, it's pretty wild. Um, let me find where I was. Katie also discloses that Ryan was depressed and he was drinking a lot and getting angry. So you've got all of these different factors into, you know, her kind of explaining the, explaining away the last four to five months between them. They then tell her that they had found a deceased male in the house and that they needed to further investigate the house. So at this point, this is when Katie finds out that Ryan had been murdered and she just instantly you know, breaks down. She is devastated. And in in addition to her alibi checking out, they're also looking at Katie, you know, she's short, she's heavy set, does not seem to meet any sort of physical capabilities to commit the crime that they saw, especially without a struggle, you know, or anything like that. So her alibi checks out, Physically, she doesn't look like she could do this. So they're kind of ruling Katie out as a suspect right. at this point. They probably saw like no markings or cuts on her too, I'm sure, or something. Yeah. Exactly. So it'd exactly. kind of be impossible with 34 stabbings. And my where my brain goes is that whoever did do this, mm-hmm. yeah, unless they have gloves on or something the amount of blood that there has to be from 34 stabs that's where the tool starts slipping whatever that tool might have been if it's a knife or you know anything else 
So they were likely to have those cuts themselves from absolutely doing it. But anyway, so they probably, you know, rolled that out right away. And even if, even if she had caught him in a dead sleep, you know, I think that he still would have had the physical strength to punch or something or something. Yeah. Fight her off. Yeah. So since, you know, basically ruling Katie out, they go back to the crime scene and the front door, it was locked, including the deadbolt. So whoever did this had to have a key to relock the door once they left. (gasps) Oh, everything else was locked. Okay. Mm -hmm. And kind of like I slightly alluded to um ryan appeared to have been sleeping on the couch when he was attacked Mm -hmm. they found blood on the couch underneath the blanket like the couch cushions were just completely soaked the tv was on and a video game was on the screen and it didn't appear that he was alone though there was another blanket and pillow on the ground on the other side of the room like someone else had been sleeping on the floor or sleeping on the other couch in the living room. So right then and there, they're like, okay, well, there were two people here at one point, either somebody was here and then decided to go home or whoever was sleeping here might be the next person that we need to find and talk to. Cause it could be that they were there and they got a chance to run away. Exactly. Someone else was it, or maybe they did. Yeah. Totally. (laughs) I know. Um, So investigators questioned Ryan's superiors who would want to hurt him. You know, can you give us any insight to if he has any enemies in, in the army or anything like that? And they immediately come back with the name of Staff Sergeant John Valdez. He was a medical staff sergeant with the headquarters company in the army and Ryan and John had served a tour together and they became really close friends. Um, Like Ryan, John was a valuable asset to his team at 24. He was already a staff sergeant, which is a very, very hard rank to achieve in the military, especially at such a young age and being so new to the army. Now, this information started to uncover some recent bad blood between the two of them. John's superiors say that he had been acting strange in the week prior to Ryan's murder, and he had basically kind of gone AWOL, and they weren't able to really get a hold of him. And now John is officially a suspect after receiving some of this information. Uh Uh-oh. Okay. So police are very quickly able to track John down and they bring him in for an interview. First and foremost, he said that it had been a, about a week since he last spoke with Ryan. Um, he was very nonchalant during, during the interview, kind of like short answers, but like very laid back. And the investigators bring up that they know about him going AWOL for about the last week and people not being able to get a hold of him. And so John tells the investigators that he was just over in Austin partying. He needed to blow off some steam. And when it comes down to the week and the, uh, sorry, let me start that over. And when it comes down to the weekend of the murder, John claims to still be down in Austin with another soldier by the name of Kyle Meesh. Now, John claims that they had crashed at Katie Briggs's apartment while they were in Austin. They were friends. 
John and, uh, or sorry, Ryan and Katie had been together about four years at this point. And so they had all become to know each other and it was a convenient place for them to crash while they were over in Austin partying. Now, John talks about his friendship with Katie, but that they're just friends and he's actually engaged to a woman by the name of Ariana. So there's no like questions about, you know, I'm sleeping with Ryan's girlfriend or anything like that. Okay. He's like, no, I'm engaged. My fiance's name is Ariana. We had met a few months earlier and had actually met through Katie. She was a mutual friend of theirs. But John tells a really weird story about the night that him and Ariana met. They were partying in Austin and John got really, really drunk. And the next morning when he woke up at Katie's apartment, Katie informed him that he had hooked up with this Ariana and was like, Hey, what did you think about her? You know, you guys hooked up, blah, blah, blah. And John's like, I don't know what you're talking about, but obviously we had a really good time. So maybe I can get her number and uh, maybe a relationship will come out of this. And Katie also tells him that that night when they were out that John had like gotten probably like a, a fake little plastic ring out of a quarter dispenser or something like that. And yeah. like jokingly proposed to Ariana, but she accepted, you know, so oh at this point they're quote unquote, engaged yeah so john tells investigators that katie gave him ariana's number and he called her the next day and they just like totally hit it off it was just like one of those fluke we fell into each other's lives and (laughs) fell in love instantly even though i don't remember us uh hooking up after the bar the first night we fell into something fell into something (laughs) I mean, just like, what are the odds? You know what I mean? Yeah. And but, I so, mean, fun story, but that is totally a weird story. Super weird story. Yeah. But nonetheless, they decided to pursue a relationship. And after that, their only conversations that they had were over the phone. Um, they never have seen each other in person. Only have had phone conversations aside from that first night in Austin when he doesn't remember meeting her. John and Ariana? Mm-hmm. That is that is that is odd. It is that very is odd. It's very odd. <laughs> but I mean he also has a, a job and a profession that takes him away, I'm sure, for a lot, right? I mean Oh, totally. Maybe. Absolutely. I mean Here I am trying to make excuses for him. (laughs) Right. But I mean, but I mean, you're not wrong. You know, my, my best friend's um, husband is in the army and actually I had to text her and ask her about this case because her husband was based at Fort hood around 2008. And I was like, Hey, does Dan know um, Ryan Sullivan? Like any chance that they serve together? And she was like, no, it's like a, she says the army base is like it's something huge. of like 60 miles, you know, yeah. totally. And for all the different branches and different ages and deployments at that time, Goodness I was like, eh, it was worth asking, yep. you know, because it would have just blown my mind if he did, if yeah, he had. That would have been him. wild. So 
So after that information, investigators redirect the interview back to Ryan's murder. And they asked John if he knows of anyone that had any problems with Ryan. And John just basically talks about, and it kind of um, solidifies a little bit of what Katie hadn't had told investigators. Also, John tells them, you know, Ryan had been having these like really angry outbursts. They would go out to this club. He would be drinking. He would get in fights with people. They'd have to take him home. So on and so on. Yeah. And he also tells investigators that Ryan was having affairs with married women that he was meeting up with at these clubs. So investigators are like, okay, well, that's interesting. Is the person that killed him a jealous husband? Was it a military wife? Someone else that he would have known that, you know, would have stayed at his house? You know, how, you know, how, how juicy are the details of this going to get, you know? So they're like, okay, well, you know, Katie mentioned him being angry. You're saying he's having these outbursts and that he's sleeping with these married women, you know, definitely could lead down that path for sure. Right. But then they want to know a little bit more about this rumored bad blood between John and Ryan and John denies all of it. He also denies having to do any having anything to do with Ryan's murder. He's like, no, we're friends. Like I would have no motivation or reason to do anything like that to him. Like we're buddies. We serve together. You know, we have this connection after being overseas and seeing what we saw and what have you. So he kind of explains all of that away with that. But before the interview is over, they have one last question for him. And it's about that mysterious motorcycle that the neighbors had seen kind of coming and going from Ryan's apartment for those That's three days. Right. That's right. So they're like, what? So what kind of car do you drive? And John's like, oh, I drive a black sporty motorcycle. They're like, hmm, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Because we received word that there was a, a black sports bike motorcycle seen outside of his apartment over the past few days. And John's just like, I don't know who that could have been. Like I told you, I was down in Austin. I was partying. I stayed with Katie. It must have been somebody else's black sporty motorcycle. It absolutely could not have been me. That checks and out. Next suspect. I'm just kidding. At- <laughs> Sadly, unfortunately, at that point, they have really nothing else to go off of. They're like, okay, well, you're not wrong. I'm sure that there are hundreds, maybe thousands of black sports motorcycles. I mean, it might just be a weird coincidence that you happen to also have one as well. And they really had nothing else to hold John on at that point. Okay. That's just odd. It's it's so odd. I mean, coincidences <laughs> like that do not happen. I mean, very in, often. In in the back of my head, I'm thinking, you know, it is possible that a neighbor, whoever witnessed this motorcycle, was asked maybe a couple hours after when they were canvassing, and he got his times messed up or his days messed up, and he's, you know, telling about another time that he saw the motorcycle there and he's confusing it with the day of because if his body was decomposing Mm -hmm. when they found him 
-hmm. the timeline could be a little weird because there was no gunshots to, you know, place a bookmark in your head as to like, okay, Friday night at 10 p.m. is when I heard gunshots. Hey, cops, that's when I saw the motorcycle, you know, exactly. So I can see how that could slide by for sure. But that's interesting. It's yeah, 100 (laughs) percent. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, that is where we're going to leave off part one with, with this mysterious, not mysterious black motorcycle. Um, Patreons, you are going to benefit because you're going to be able to hear part two earlier than um, the rest of the crowd. So I'm going to leave it off there. I don't really have any other news to report. If you guys want to become a Patreon though, and you want to hear part two before the next episode airs, you can go to the link in our bio on our Instagram and click onto our Patreon and join on there so that you can get early access to episodes, episodes that don't release, um, on the podcast and some other goodies that we like to send out to our VIPs. That's right. That's right. All right. Don't be a stranger. Yep. We'll see you guys next week. Bye. Bye.